I, I look forward to this series. It's going to be good. I, I, uh, I think it's right, right where we're listening right now. I think sometimes we're guilty, and, and taking some time off, I always reflect on this. I think sometimes the church is answering questions that people aren't asking. I think, I think in our culture today, people care about spiritual things. They have certain things, questions that they're asking. It's just the church doesn't seem to be addressing them and, and speaking to those. So I think this is a series that's uh, going to be right on, on that level. Uh, it's good to be back. If you didn't know, Pam and I were kind of out the, the month of July doing things. There was several different things that we uh, had goals for that the elders let us, let us have this time off. Uh, one was to be with our grandkids. We do a thing every summer called Gigi Camp where our, our four grandkids come and they spend the week with us. We put the tent up in the house and all that kind of stuff and we go places. Here's... Uh, I think this is day one, so you can tell... Uh, uh, they're, they're a lively group. I, I gotta be honest. It's the most exhausting week of my life, uh, to do that. So we, we got to spend quality time with the grandkids, which is always a blessing, uh, to be with them. Uh, secondly, uh, it was for Pam and I just to, uh, take some refreshment. Uh, the last, uh, 15 to 18 months have been kind of tough in some areas. So uh, we, we love to go hiking, and so we're in Rio Dosa here up on the crest, and uh, uh, just beautiful. You know, being in places where nobody else is going to be, it's uh, just a, a great thing. So we were up in the mountains for, uh, for a week. And then uh, one other thing is that uh, because of the role that God has given me in this community, of of kind of pastoring pastors and and that kind of thing, I got to go worship with uh, several in several other congregations here in Round Rock. Got to speak and got to be present just to encourage them. And I've I've got a picture of uh, uh, this is uh, Benito Frescas on on my right uh, in the picture and Jason Hirsch and God just did a great work uh, in bringing those two congregations together. And they invited me to come and uh, just be a part of that. Notice I'm wearing the same exact thing that I wore. Uh, Pam said at least it's washed is the, is the good news. So I got to be in several other churches. And I, I tell you what, we've got some great congregations in our city. I'm telling you, there are some great ones. I, I, I just enjoy going and encouraging and being there. If, if God ever says, hey, I'm tired of Central, I need to go somewhere else, come talk to me first. I'll find the perfect place for you. And, uh, and I, I just love it. We, we have a, a motto that says there's but one church in Round Rock, just different expressions. And uh, we believe that when one prospers, we all prosper. When one is hurting, we're all hurting. And so uh, that's kind of deal. And then a, a fourth situation was just for us to pray and process and, and look at, <clears throat> into the future. So uh, we were able to do that as well, but it's good to be back. It's good to be home. 
some of you didn't know we were gone. Shame on you. Uh, uh, but uh, it's good to be back. It really is. Uh, I don't want to mess up what God is doing. We, you heard this past month, you, you got to hear from Chris at the 1st of July, and man, what a great word. I, uh, we were here that Sunday. Uh, man, what a great word. And then uh, Jim Rowan, pastor to the nations, uh, shared on the next Sunday. Man, what insight uh, Jim brings. And then you got to hear two weeks from Brett as he talked about connection and community, which is one of our core values, and hopefully you benefited greatly from that. And then uh, last week you got to hear from Ken Jerome, and Ken has come on to give leadership to uh, 60s and over, and uh, just appreciate Ken so much in delivering that word. And so you've had steak all week, and I don't want to just give you a ham sandwich, but sometimes you need a ham sandwich. And uh, and but but I don't want to mess up what God is doing. And uh, so you pray for me as I as I share with you today. And uh, if you got your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter seven, and uh, we're going to get there in just a minute. So uh, just just um, just. Put that down. We're calling this series Resetting Your Compass in a Disoriented World. Resetting Your Compass in a Disoriented World. You see, we live in a disoriented day. Disoriented means you've lost your direction or you've lost where you're going. And that's, this describes our country today in so many ways. We're just disoriented. We're we're, we've lost our way in so many areas. Uh, I'm reminded we did student ministry before we stepped into a senior pastor situation. And uh, we took a group of kids one year to Hannibal LaGrange College in, in uh, Missouri. And we went up there. It was a combination of a mission trip and a camp kind of experience. And we had a group of college kids that lived recreation every day. And it, it was hot, middle of the summer. And uh, what they one particular day, they decided to do this relay with the kids. And first of all, it was a food relay. You would run, you would uh, reach into this grocery sack, and you would pull out. The first thing you pulled out, Jeff, were you on this trip? Probably. Uh, you pulled out something, and you ate it. Uh, whether it was baby food. I mean, it was stuff you wouldn't normally eat. And so that's what you would do. You, you would run back and, uh, then, then they finished the relay. And then the next relay they decided to do, which if you go out to the Dell Diamond tonight, you're going to see the same thing probably, was the dizzy bat relay. So, uh, kid would run, spin around on the bat tent, ten uh, times and then try to find their way back and they would do that. But what's funny is they had a trash can at the end of uh, everything because kids would lose what they had in the food relay by the time they got back on the dizzy bat relay. It was terrible. Uh, I loved it. Uh, That was back in the day when you could get away with more in student ministry than you can do today. Uh, and so uh, we did that. But, but I thought, 
You know, that describes our culture today. We're disoriented. We, we have spun around and, and so many things, we've lost our direction. We've lost our direction culturally. I mean, we don't, we don't know who we are as a nation anymore. Politically, we're disoriented. We're so divided. Racially, we're uh, disoriented. We, we don't know how to respond in so many areas. Morally, obviously, we're disoriented. If you'd have told me as a young man, we would be having discussions and things would be accepted today that are accepted today, and if you were to tell me that as a young man, I would have laughed to you. I said, I would have said, that's ludicrous. And yet, here we are today, so disoriented uh, morally. And, and then I think we're disoriented mentally and emotionally, too. Uh, uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a big proponent of mental health and these kind of things, but I wonder, has it always been that way? Or or we just squeeze differently today, and we respond differently, and and we're disoriented in this particular area. I think I think spiritually, we're even disoriented. I, I think uh, the things that used to be accepted as truth, now we're disoriented. What is the direction? Where are we to go? And I just believe that as followers of Jesus. We must reset our compass if we're going to make it in this disoriented world. So we want to talk about what God's will is and how we walk that out. Now, I know some of you, when we say God's will, you automatically think, uh, you think education, you think marriage, you think job, you think where we live, you think career. I mean, you think these things automatically because you want God to write it in the sky where you need to be because you believe God has a plan and, and you want to follow that. But yet there's so much more that we need to look at. And, and so I want to begin, though, in this passage in Matthew. And I think, and, and this is a hard verse, so I, I need to set it up completely. This disorientation... We, we sometimes ask, where does it come from? And I think part of it comes from the many voices, too many voices, that we have screaming at us. You go on the news, you're going to see every news has a slant to it. So you're thinking, what is truth? You go on social media, it is screaming at you. This is the way you need to be. This is the way you need to act. This is, this is things... And so this many voices just creates uh, that disorientation that is there. Secondly, I think we're disoriented because what is truth today? Uh, you know, the, the, the world would teach you that there is not an absolute truth. We as followers of Jesus believe there's an absolute truth. So where do you get truth today? And here's the deal. This is what I've discovered is Everything on the Internet is true, if you did not know that. And uh, I can tell you this. However you want to be counseled, you can find somebody that agrees with you. You can find somebody. So what, what is truth? And, and we struggle with that. And so we have these many voices. We struggle with what is truth. And then... Um, also, we live in the day of mass distraction. We're addicted to our phones. 
I understand that. We're addicted to, uh, whether it's TikTok or Facebook or whatever you're on, we're addicted to those things. And there's a, a shot of a, a dopamine that comes every time our phone clicks and uh, we're addicted to it. Let's just be honest. We, we try to fight, oh, it's not that bad. No, we're all addicted. And so we have this day of mass distraction uh, that is there. So let me read this passage to you. Matthew 7, I'm going to begin it in verse 21. Prepare yourself for these verses. Okay? Matthew 7, 21. Jesus is speaking. It's all in red. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. He's been talking about false teachers. And then he, he lays the line in the sand. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty miracles, many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Man! I would, I would rather not read that to you. That is a fish or cut bait verse. That is a draw the line in the sand kind of verse. That is a no doubter. I mean, really, Jesus, what are you really saying here? I mean, it, are you saying what you're saying? And he, yes, he is. He says, not everybody who calls me Lord, 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 which means uh, a more intense uh, emotional kind of uh, ploy. Not all who call me Lord, Lord, will enter, even enter the kingdom. But only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Wow. I mean, what is he saying? He's, he's saying, you did mighty works, you can do great things, but still your heart not be with me. You can do even... You can speak things that are life-changing, but your heart may not be with me. You can even cast out demons and your heart not be with me. I mean, he, he cuts to the truth, which is only those who do the will of the Father are those in the kingdom. So we got to talk about this thing, about what the will of the Father is for our lives. But here's the deal. Before, over the next few weeks, I'm going to get more specific. Now, I'm not going to tell you who to marry or what job to have. Uh, but we're going to look at this thing about the will of the Father. I think it's so relevant for us. And we want to look at this thing, but... Before I talk to you on how you can discover the will of the Father, I want to attack some myths and misconceptions about the will of God. So there are seven myths that I want to lay out to you, myths about God's will. The first one is this. God's will is the easy way with few pitfalls. This is a myth. God's will is the easy way with few pitfalls. How many people say, well, I feel, I feel at peace about this. I feel good about this. It looks like the door is open. 
I should go through it, and, and there will be no pitfalls, there will be no struggles. If that's the case, then when you read the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, all of this hall of fame of faith, these godly people, all of them went through atrocious times in their faith. And in fact, it says the world was not worthy of them. And even when they died, they were still pursuing. So this will of God is something you're going to do your whole life. It's not a destination. It's a journey that you're on. And so uh, so often we think, oh, if I have a peace about this, I should do it. Well, not necessarily. It's an open door. I should go through it. Not necessarily. And we can't think that it's just the easy route. It is a pitfall. There will be pitfalls along the way. And sometimes people say this. The safest place to be is in the will of God. Now, we need to redefine safe at this point. Because people have given their life for their faith. People have have been burned for their faith. People have uh, lost their possessions for their faith. And let me tell you, they were in the center of the will of God. So we got to be careful. That's myth number one. Myth number two is this. God's will is hard to discover. It's like God is playing Clue with us, and we've got to figure out the candlestick and Colonel Mustard and what room he did it in. And so we play hide-and-seek with God, and we feel like this is the way it is with God's will. He really tries to hide it from us instead of revealing it to us. And if we catch him at the right time, maybe we can get it. Now, listen. God wants what's best for his creation. He wants what's best for you. And and we got to know that ultimately his best is for you to be close to him. That's the best place to be. The best place for the sheep to be is near the shepherd. And that's what he wants for you. But he's not playing hide and seek. He's not playing this game of of you cannot uh, do it. Here's the struggle. You ready? The struggle with us saying it's so hard to discover is usually because we don't want to do it. And so, we, God, I just don't understand. I know you wrote it in the sky. I know you gave it to me in the Scriptures. and I, But, God, I just don't see it. We just don't want to do it. Here's the third myth about God's will. Once you're off course in God's will, you can't get back. Oh, I blew it. I blew it. I... Uh, you know, God gave me one chance and I messed up. He, uh, he, uh, there's no way I can get back. I just got to live the rest of my life. I was following the Lord and I sinned or I got a past or whatever. And we think there's no way. There's no way. God can let me back. Hey, listen. God is in the redemption business. He can take whatever you have messed up. And he can use you. Whatever you've done. I mean, I can, I can list out top ten sins that we think are out there. And think, oh man, I've done most of those. Let me tell you, God can still redeem. So, 
if you've stepped off course, you're thinking, I married the wrong person or went to the wrong school or got the wrong job or blah, blah, blah. Let me tell you, God can redeem. And, and the next one goes along with that. The next myth is this. In God's will, there is only one route. In other words, there is one person to marry. There is one college to attend. There is one career to have. One town to live in. And what happens is, is when we think it's either this or that, this is the way it's got to be, we, we freak out at, with that. And it's like uh, uh, we panic. If you've ever gone through a, uh, a big building and the lights are off and there's movement or gone through a, a wooded area and there's movement out there, you, you panic because you're thinking something's going to get you. It's the same way when we take the mentality that, oh, i got to do this or i got to do this. Uh, if I choose the wrong one, uh-oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. So we choose nothing. Now, I, there's, there's people that take the mentality and they say this, there's only one person in seven billion people that I'm to marry. Good night. That, 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 and, then, and then they get married and they think, oh, I married the wrong one. So I may as well get a divorce, right? Wrong! That, that's not the way it is. That's not the way it is. God can redeem whatever. Now there have been some people that have been in careers and God has stirred their heart to move to a different direction. But you want to make sure, you want to seek a multitude of counsel before you just step out and do that. But so often we think, ah, oh, you know, I miss God here, so I'm just going to create all kinds of chaos over here. No, and we'll talk more about that, but, but uh, yes, there is a route God has for you. But we'll talk about that. Next myth is this. God's will is determined by what personally profits me. God's will is determined by what personally profits me. This is a myth. More money, more favor with my boss, more peace, no conflict. Hey, it's got to be God's will, right? I've discovered and, and counseled families before that there's been a job offer to come, and uh, instead of praying through what we what would be most profitable spiritually for their family, they assume since they'll make more money that it must be God's will. I want you to, I want you to know that's not true. That is not true. You cannot let money or prestige or position dictate to you what the next steps are. God has a purpose and a plan for you. And uh, God's will is not determined by what personally profits you, but that's a myth. Uh, number, myth number six. If something is enjoyable, it must not be God's will. I mean, God doesn't want me to enjoy anything. I mean, He's, he's God, and if I submit to God, then He's going to send me to Africa, right? Or is he going to send you to China? 
Houston. I mean, you know, if we if we submit to God, then then that's what He's going to do uh, with us. He He's just going to destroy my life. That's all He's after is to destroy my life. I want you to know, the most complete you will ever be is in the center of God's will. The most complete you will ever be is in the center of God's will. And you've got to know He equips you. He equips you for whatever journey He's going to take you on. If He takes you to Africa, so be it. I guarantee you, you will feel more complete in Africa than you ever will in this country. And so think about that. Myth number seven, last myth. God will do His will whether I recognize it or not. In other words, God is sovereign. He's just going to do His thing. Whether I recognize Him or not, it doesn't matter. Whether I pray or not, it doesn't matter. He's just going to do His thing and I'm at His mercy. Um, Yes, do I believe in the sovereignty of God? Yes, I do. I believe that God knows. I believe God sees. I believe He's all-powerful. He is all-knowing. And, uh, but I, I do know this. His ultimate will is for me to fulfill and to bring Him glory. Uh, Max Licato shares an illustration that, that uh, I, I can understand and hang on to. He said, imagine, when it comes to the sovereignty of God, he said, imagine there's a cruise ship. And this cruise ship has a, uh, a manifest that has a, a place where it's going. It's going to dock, it's going to go, and it's going to be there. This is, the ship is going to do that. You're not going to change the course of the ship. However, everybody on the cruise ship, thousands of people, they are making decisions uh, about their role on that cruise ship. And, and they ha- all have a purpose on that cruise ship, but uh, uh, ultimately that ship is going to go to its destination. And I want you to know that God has everything, all of history, in in His sights, and He's going to bring it to a culmination with the return of Christ. I mean, we we see this is going to happen. However, as long as we're on that ship, we are going to fulfill our purposes and our role of what He has for us, and I hope that makes sense. And we'll talk more about that in the weeks ahead, because during these weeks ahead, we, we're going to be looking at the specifics. Like I say, I'm not going to tell you who to marry, what your job is, what college, what career, uh, but we're going to get some we're going to get some uh, handles on how we can know this. But I want to I want to deal with this one thing in God's purpose, and will for you. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says this. Paul is writing. He says this. I appeal, or I earnestly plead to you, brothers, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And he says this, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world. Conformed is the word for squeezing into its mold. Uh, when our kids were little, you know, uh, they had the Play-Doh thing. 
that you put the Play-Doh in and you had these different stencil stuff and you squeeze it and it would come out. Don't let this world squeeze you into its mold. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The word transformed is the word where we get metamorphosis. It's the same terminology if you take a tadpole becoming a frog or you take a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. He says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing here you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect and and complete, literally. So who would not want what is good, acceptable, and complete in your life, which is the will of God? Well, all of us would want that. Seven billion people on the planet would want that. But what is happening is, is we try to conform to what this world says makes you whole instead of embracing the one who created us to make us whole. And so here's, here's step number one in walking in God's will is to have a personal, growing, experiential relationship with God through Jesus Christ. If you want to even begin to be in the will of God, you need to seek a personal, growing, experiential relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus came to reveal the Father to us. And then He came on the cross. He took the sin of mankind. But it is having a personal, intimate relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And the reason I say it personal experiential is that it's something that you grow in and in, in, in you have your he he knows you you want to know him and then knowing more and that's how you determine how you walk out the will of god jesus said this in john john john's uh gospel seventeen three, and this is eternal life that they know you the only true god and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life. To know God. Not know about, but have an experiential, intimate relationship with Him. Not a head knowledge. Not a religious ritual. Not good deeds. Even though those things are fine and they're good. It's a knowing of Jesus Christ. You get that? I want that to seek in. I think we live in a day where we have embraced head knowledge, and rituals instead of a heart transformation. Jesus, uh, excuse me, Peter said this in 2 Peter 3.9. He said, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The word wishing there, the King James said willing. It's His Will that none perish, but all come to repentance. All come to a turning. So, here's, here's the lowdown. One big idea. You cannot do the Father's will if you do not know Him. You do not know Him. He wants you close to Him. So we need to know that God is holy, 
And He is desiring for us to know Him. We've got to admit that we're broken and we're separated from Him. We need to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and turn to Him knowing that His in His love for us, He paid the ransom for our sin. And He truly is Lord. The word Lord means owner, manager. He is in charge. And by His indwelling, we can follow Him. And then life turns into, I want you to hear this, life turns into one filled with purpose as you come to be known by Him and to know Him and to know Him more. Man, that, that's, that's worth tweeting right there. That's good. Do you know Him today? I mean, I, that sounds so weird to our world. You can know God. I was reading in 1 Corinthians this morning, and, and it just talks about that the, the, the world, the wisdom of the world is foolishness. And the foolishness of Christ confounds the world. They cannot understand it unless God draws you to Him. Some of you in this room right now, I promise you, by God's Spirit are being drawn to Him. I end with this today. And I know you have a lot of questions today, but we'll, we'll get to them in the upcoming weeks. Some of you, when you had breakfast this morning, you got, a, you got your cereal, you got your Captain Crunch out, and you're going to put milk on it. Uh, most of us use generic milk. But you, you that can, can step out there maybe got Borden, Borden milk. And you put it on there. The Borden family has been known for its dairy stuff and its milk forever. Well, William Borden was, in the early 1900s, was the heir apparent, the son of the the Bordens, William Borden. And William Borden, uh, when he was in high school, he came to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And for his, his graduation from high school, you, you students get this because you, you ask way too low when you graduate. They gave him a trip around the world. Now, when you're a multimillionaire in the early 1900s, that was worth more. And so here he is. He's traveling over the world. Now, his heart has been pricked by God. He has been uh, transformed. He's in the process of being transformed even more. And as he got to travel around the world, he, uh, he saw the marginalized of life. And his heart broke. You know, those that were impoverished, those that couldn't make it, those that were down and outers. And his heart just broke that they didn't know Jesus. And he came back with a call to be a missionary. And he took his Bible and he wrote in the, the leaf of his Bible, he wrote this. He wrote, no reserves. In other words, I'm giving it all. No reserves. Well, William Borden went on to go to Yale University. And when he was at Yale, the spiritual climate was very low. He found one other Christian and they began to pray. And they began to pray. They brought another student in to pray. 
And then they started getting a heartbeat for the whole campus. And over the next few years, a thousand of the 1,300 students that were at Yale at the time were joining in this prayer group. And, and, and so William Borden just felt like his heart was just pulled to the nations and the marginalized in the nation. In fact, he had a specific uh, group, people group, that broke his heart. They were called the Muslim Kansu people of China. And so what, uh, what Warden did so that he could be trained to go to China to reach these people, he, uh, he, he went to Cairo to get his training, language study, lifestyle, culture, uh, training, and this kind of stuff. He went to Cairo, and he wrote in his Bible, under no reserves, the next thing he wrote is, no retreat. There's no going back. No reserves, I'm holding nothing back from you, God. No retreat, I'm, I'm not going back. I'm going forward with you. However, before William Borden ever got to China, he developed a sickness that ended up taking his life. At the age of 25, William Borden died, and he's buried in Cairo, Egypt today. But they discovered when they found his Bible, he written a third thing. Not only had he written no reserves and then no retreat, but lastly he wrote this, no regret. I think sometimes we're hesitant to follow God because we think He's going to squash our fun and we hold back and then we retreat back and then we end up having regrets. I think William Borden's life challenges, especially our young people, man. No reserves. I'm not holding back. God, I'm not going to retreat. I'm going forward to you. And whether I die at 25 or 95, it doesn't matter. There's not going to be any regrets in my life.